Hello, and welcome back to the Brew Theology Podcast. This is part two of Suicide Prevention with Paul Miskew. If you have little ears in the room, you might want to listen to this at another time. We're going to continue our discussion in our Q&A section. And if at any time during this podcast you're feeling suicidal, please call 1-800-273-8255 or text the word HOME to 741741. Thank you for joining us, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. I wonder about Western culture specifically, obviously, because, hey, selfishly, we live here. And uh, these stats you don't really see in, you may see them in some countries, but it seems to be more Western. And I'm curious with everything from just our good old capitalistic society and achieve, you can achieve your dreams and look how sexy you can be, and you can have the wife and the kids 2.5, right? Is that it's 0.5? The white picket fence and 401k and all these all these things. Whereas like other countries, second world, third world, you're like, no, I mean, we're gonna survive. We don't know about tomorrow. We're actually taking the Bible literally and doing this whole manna thing. If you don't know that reference, go to Exodus. And we're gonna take care of each other, like the Acts 2 church. If you don't know that, that's New Testament. And we're so self, um, self-focused here, what I can do and what my family can do. And I don't want anybody to tell me what I can, and then we don't succeed. We don't, we're not that sexy. We're not that strong. We're not that powerful. We're none of those things. Um, is there, is there something to be said about Western culture versus other societies? Um, certainly. So, uh, in the world, um, suicide is, is top 10. Um, across the globe um, within specific cultures it is a first world issue more than third world the question I always have is is the why why is it in a first world country where we seem to have everything we need or want or could have is it because we're unable to be focused on the basic human needs of food and shelter that we have additional time to let our minds wander off on these other tangents about why we're here. There's an old saying, right? That idle hands are the devil's playground. And what about busy hands? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, and you know, I, I've, you know, we've all heard that, but then people are so busy and at the end of the work week, um, and then there's nothing to show for it and they're just burned out. I mean, and, and I, I look at this I, most, and I've known this for a while that it's mostly men that follow through with this. Now, mostly it's put on men in our society to then, you know, have this amazing job and take care of the family. And then that doesn't happen. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, when we look at the highest uh, grouping, so 15 to 24 year olds, it's the third leading cause of death. And for those that are 24 to 35, it's the second leading cause of death. And it's often about failure, self-failure that I haven't amounted. And, and when we constantly peddle this idea of perfectionism, of, of we were talking about the gin commercial with the Peloton girl. Oh, yeah. Ryan Reynolds, new gin. We're going to a little, little plug here. Ryan Reynolds, if you're listening, we'd love a little sponsorship. Aviation commercial with the Peloton girl. If you've seen it, go Google that. So... It, it, it's a play on, right, yeah. this idea of perfection, yeah. right? And that she's drinking in the next commercial, 
because of realizing that she's not. Um, even though she still looks good, and she does. Very clever commercial. But it's that idea of the things our society is selling, right? What is that bill of goods? That you can have this perfect family, that this perfect life, and if you do these things, that you get perfection. And that's just not true. Because even if you're married to a beautiful woman in a beautiful house, right, what the song says. That's right. Who is this beautiful house? Yes. Cake. (laughs) We're going to sing along. Dun, 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 dun. It means it. It's it's all for what? It's right when we put that against the backdrop of the average American household who is maybe divorced, maybe has both parents working, and they're making less than the medium income of seventy thousand dollars, and they have three kids and a dog that won't stop barking, and nosy neighbors, and the kids are failing school and they didn't get the promotion they wanted, that's life, right? We're not Mahomes, right? That's Magic Mahomes for those that don't know. KC, Janelle's team, the Chiefs. We are... Billy just gagged when I said that. (laughs) Broncos fan here. 15 years. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we're not. I mean, it'd be great. But but even guys like that, and I wonder about... So we all know that Michael Jordan, here's a guy that never could get enough. He even talked about that. How many rings did he get? The greatest of all time. I mean, everybody will say, right. don't talk LeBron James. Michael Jordan is the greatest of all time. Amen. But he was never satisfied. I mean, can you imagine being Michael Jordan? Come on, dude. Do you, do you remember his speech that he gave a few years ago? It was sad. Like, he, he was dogging yeah. other people. You're like, why? You have nothing to prove. You are the best. And it was never enough for him. I'm white. My brother's white. And I remember in, in when he was in 10th grade, he came home with the very first pair of Air Jordans and and I made fun of him <laughs> because it didn't help him make it be any better basketball player. But Michael Jordan inspired an entire generation and shaped the next 20 years of players that would come and, st- and still, and yet he wasn't satisfied. He inspired millions of kids to be like Mike and yet Mike wasn't enough. And so... Just imagine then uh, an average 14, 15-year-old boy or girl in an American high school who's going through life and says, I'm, I can't shoot ball. I, I don't have good grades. My parents don't love me. I have acne. And we wonder why they're depressed. <laughs> I mean... And they're getting picked on online now. And they're getting picked on online and social media and, you know... A little bit about social media, right? So we have this whole fake world that we've set up that we only say and share and tell the things that we want to share and say and tell. How many of your friends on Facebook have constant negative rantings and life as well, right? There are all the pictures of them smiling, having good times and doing these things. And that's not real life. And so if somebody is starting to feel that cloud of depression or despair, and they're on social media and they're seeing that all their friends are apparently happy, that only drives them further into this world of of depression and despair. I think one of the things that's really important to to take away is that the number of young people, it used to be around 15 was the, was the, the, the young age of, of, and it's like, wow, they were only 15. And that, 
that age group, that medium age group has dropped down to 10 now. Between 10 to 14. Um, That's so young. Yeah. Like, you're supposed to be having fun at recess still. Right. But to address that, is it really thought that that the age is dropping and not that there is just being admitted to now? So 10-year-olds likely committed suicide 20 years ago, but it wouldn't have been admitted that it was suicide. It would have been said, oh, that was an accident. She didn't mean to drink the bleach. But as somebody who has attempted at the age of 10, I can't imagine I was the only 10-year-old who thought that. It's just that it was hidden, just like it's hidden in the church. We didn't talk about it. Sure. I think there's a certain uh, percentage of that that we just didn't have the numbers because of the cultural influences that, that said to keep it silent or excuse it as something else. Certainly the number of those who complete suicide between the ages of 10 and 14 is certainly higher than it's, than it's ever been. Part, part of that is the, the form of lethality. And so in the past, girls, women would be less successful at suicide because they chose to use a less lethal means to attempt. And when they began using firearms, guess what? They started becoming just as successful as all the men who had been using firearms all along. And so if you have a gun and you have children, lock them up. I'm not saying Please. you shouldn't have a gun, but Always. but we should make sure that one of the one of the ways that we can prevent suicide is taking away the means. And so if there is somebody, that's one of the the ways that we can intervene as as in anybody of what well, what were you thinking about doing? Mm-hmm. Right? And making sure that do you have a gun at the house? Uh, do you mind if I come by and pick up the gun and I'll keep it until you're not feeling this way? And, and with parents, especially with young children, we should place guns in places where they can't have access to them. You said this is your last uh, fact here that over 50% of all suicides are completed with a firearm. And I don't want to downplay people who who cut, because obviously you can you can die from that as well. Uh, but there's, it's like the, so the firearm, like the, there's the strong, violent, lethal ones that the, you're... Well, let's let's just I mean uh, kids aren't listening right now. Young children, hopefully. What what are the other other methods that people should be looking out for? That are I mean, is it so uh, suffocation, which is basically um, hanging, is twenty seven point seven percent, and um, poisoning is thirteen percent, thirteen point nine percent, and other which would include cutting yeah. um, is about seven point eight percent. We you know we had. We had cutters in our youth group, just like we had in high school. Mm. Nobody thought much of it. We just thought, oh, they're the, you know, I mean, I, I, as a youth pastor, it was different as a high schooler. I'm going to, let me differentiate between that. As a high schooler, we just thought, oh, they're the emo depressed, right? As a youth minister, you know, we were very, very concerned and we would talk to the parents and, you know, make sure you take everything very seriously there. Um, But that's, that's, what's the percentage of cutting? 13, you said? 7.8. 7.8. Se- seven, okay, 7.8. But still, that's, I mean, because I, because you could say, well, that's just somebody crying out. But still, regardless, there, I mean, that, that's not normal behavior. Well, so how, how do you then approach people who downplay it? Oh, they're emotional. They need to get some counseling. And then like, they kind of like dismiss that. But then the church on top of that poo-poo is counseling sometimes. I, well, I, I disagree with that. 
I think most they churches did in our tradition they did. Why that? Per, like we could not in the, um, in the in today's world. I think most churches have evangelical, Catholic, all, the whole gamut are pretty much pro counseling today. I would say that's certainly better than it ever has been, especially in modern American culture, as far as um, advocating counseling or mental health and in recognizing that. Because what churches can't escape is that people in those congregations are also committing suicide. Yeah. So it's not just like, if it was all a secular problem, right? And like, oh, that's your, you guys are going to hell anyway. So it's, kind of, so it's like divorce, it's the same. Right. Secular, Christian, doesn't right. matter. It's, yeah. It's, yeah, it still happens. And so, you know, when something like divorce happens, there's still, I, mean, I think, congregations that will probably be equally frowned upon somebody getting divorced as as suicidal they're probably the oh, same yeah. it's prob- pr- probably the same kind of feelings you would get the shame and people usually leave those churches if families have a kid who's attempted suicide they probably would leave as well yeah. and I wonder how much of that has to do with the idea that total depravity and, and original sin has crept in so heavily in our culture whether we're talking Protestants or Catholics and so it, it is it is it does become that holiness um, so what, what you know Janelle and you grew up in that you're not you're never going to be holy enough but that it starts with you're a piece of shit. Well, if I'm a piece of shit, Jesus died for me. Well, now, now me and Jesus are one because of the blood, right? That's the whole, how, how it goes. And now I'm going to be sanctified. Well, I mean, talk about depression. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you want to be like Jesus, but guess what? I mean, you're, you're, you're a mess. So how do you, how do you deal with like, you're a little bit of this, a little bit of that. You're a little good. You're a little bad. I mean, like we're, we're all a paradox. Humans are on my best day. I'm still a dick, right? And on on my worst day, on my worst day, no, on my worst day, like I'm a saint, and I think we can all say that about ourselves. If, but the church kind of creates that. It's a very black and white binary. It's original sin, and then almost perfection. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Is that another another way to look at this? Is that when when people who go to church they show up on Sunday, they get dressed up, so they may dress nicer than they normally would. So they're already putting on a disguise. And then when they show up, they put a smile on their face. And there's an almost this internal expectation of perfectionism, right? And so it's not only the, the white picket fence and the 2.3 kids and the happy marriage and the great job and everything is grand that we turn it up to 11 yeah. on the sound dial to, to quote from Spicoli. We turn up that dial to 11 and put on that face of, of perfectionism and that my life is perfect and that my children who I was just screaming my head off in the car, <laughs> telling them to behave and knock it off and I'm going to beat the crap out of them or slap them beside the head and then walk in and we're smiling and life is perfect. And so you take that and the fact that we're not supposed to talk about it. When somebody does feel that way, they feel isolated. And when they bring it up and then to hear that they got kicked out of a church or a faith group because of that, to me, that's shameful. And that's completely opposite of everything that Christ talked about as far as love your neighbor as yourself, be willing to put down your own life for your friends, right? It's, it's, that's not love, you know, and I'm not ragging on every church by any means. It's, it's about being real with our young people that life happens good and bad, and that we have to deal with it and work through it together. I mean, that's what community is supposed to be, right? 
one of the things I like about Bruceology is that you guys come together. It's people from all walks of life and that there's an authenticity that I don't have to have that facade anymore. And when we talk about the mental health of people that were around, that leads to positive mental health. You know, one of the statistics shows that people that are in faith groups have lower incidences of suicide. Part of it is because it's forbidden, but also part of it is because of that social connectedness that we have. And that is critical to just being real, right? That this is life and it's good, it's bad, it's painful. There's joy. If those that are out there that have mental illness and that have struggled with that on a, on a clinical level, you know, it's knowing that there is something for us to, and that we may not fit into the mold of this Americana ideal, but that doesn't mean that we have to check out. It just means that some things are harder. And when we have a good community group around us, that leads to good mental health. That leads to suicide prevention. That leads to us being real and knowing that we can make a difference. I think that authenticity piece is, or at least has been the hard part for a lot of church congregations because you are trying to meet up to some sort of standard. You're trying to show the world that Jesus has changed you or saved you or you know, helped you overcome. And when that becomes the weighing mechanism, it becomes a lot harder to be authentic about not feeling good today or having just screamed at your child on the way to church. And I think that that's, that's one of the things that's got to change if the church wants to really reach people where they're at and show the kind of Christ-like love that's available, you've got to stop playing. And I know that's probably the number one thing that has pushed a lot of people out of church is they realize that life isn't all rainbows and glitter and I'm going to go find a group of people that can walk with me through that. That may give me some hope for the church. And I get that the stats are not in the church's favor in the U S right now that people are leaving it. Mm-hmm. We, we know this. I mean, this is, this has been studied for a couple decades now. And yet because there's like that, that wake up call of like, why are people leaving? And then church leaders hopefully can get together and say, maybe it's because we're not authentic yeah. and maybe we just need to say, well, shit, here's what I think about on a regular basis outside of these four walls. And you know what? I think about it inside of these walls too. Yeah, Man, what a relief. And you know, you were saying about like our particular groups, just, you know, one example of probably many out there that are just, it's a relief when people can come in and say, you mean I don't have to be a Christian here? You mean I don't have to be that type of Christian? Oh, I can be atheist. Oh, I can be Buddhist. Mm-hmm. Like people now then I get Christian churches. Like it is about being Christian and that's fine. You know, whether you're going to, a synagogue and you're Jewish or you're going to a mosque and you're Muslim, but still within that you can say, I'm a Christian, but I don't, I don't hold on to the same theology as you. And, um, and by the way, um, here's what my daily life actually looks like. People, they look for that. And then, and then if they don't find it, they're like, well, they settle and then they just kind of pretend and they go along with the flow. But can you imagine like the breath of just fresh air? I mean, ah, how nice that would be if you could walk into any kind of religious institution and organization on, on a Sunday, Saturday, whenever, and know that you can just like, I'm going to be me here. Um, no, I get that humans don't want to, they don't want the full on 110% you. You can't yeah. like fully unzip and unveil it all, but you can find people within those, you know, those contexts 
And you're like, I trust Janelle. Okay, she's going to hear my shit this week. And if I've dumped on her too much, I might dump on you, Paul, the next week. But like, eventually, you know, we're all going to carry the load with each other, so mm-hmm. to speak. Sorry that I use the word shit and load in the same two. <laughs> yeah. I put a semicolon in between, so it was really the same sentence. Let's carry the shit, guys. Come on. Yeah. You know, it's so looking specifically at suicide, right? We, we see it, how it, it crept into church doctrine and became church practice and then uh, influenced so much that it became secular law. We see the same, you can pick any sin, right, uh, thing and, and do the same type of case study of how did this particular approach to divorce, abortion, drinking, drug use, pick your denomination and how uh, legalistic or dogmatic it is on any of those things and see where in history that that idea crept in and then how it's practiced today. And it's astonishing. And that's where, you know, this whole idea of American Christianity and how it heavily influenced it was the rise of democracy and the the rise of our, our, our current culture and of the rise of the industrial revolution that it had upon the Christian culture that Christianity in America for the last 200 years has mimicked the, the culture in, our, in its laws and its practices and the, and the things that we're still arguing about today that are social justice issues or social norming issues. And then when we look back at this book that's 2,000 years old and look at the basic tenets and the basic teachings of what Christ said about love your neighbor as yourself. And how does that fit into this world on Sunday morning that we show up to that is fake and not real? It's a complete departure. Um, And it's, you know, know, when you're sitting and you get a little bit of vomit in your mouth, it's like, it's just that, that horrible taste. And, and I think that we as a culture, we have to do better, even if it's for this one area, right? Suicide prevention of young people, the number of young people that are taking their life, you know, Colorado, the number of young people in Colorado alone that are committing suicide every year is mind blowing, right? If we took the Denver public schools and we wiped it half out by half tomorrow, we would all be alarmed and standing up and advocating for change. And yet every day suicide is happening. And because it's a silent killer, because we're not talking about it, it goes on chat to the point of almost 70,000 people committing suicide every year, right? Every 16 minutes, somebody attempts and what are we doing to intervene, to make a difference, to stop? I know we can do better. You know, when, when Robin Williams took his life, you know, one of my favorite funny people, um, and I'm like, man. And then Chris Cornell, I was like, dang. And just this voice in the back of my head of, what are you doing to make a difference? Sure, I've shared my story hundreds of times, and um, I've worked in the mental health profession, and yet I felt this inkling did I need to step up and do more, you know? And so that's my, that's where I want to go. Right. And, and I want, 
I don't want this nonprofit to be like others. I want every penny. There's a, a model to follow. It's called livingwater.org in which 100% of all donations go towards digging wells in third world countries. I want to get to the point with this nonprofit so that every penny is making a difference towards programming and intervention with young people, um, starting in Colorado, but beyond, so that donations aren't going to pay some executive salary, right? It's going towards programming. I'm not there yet. I know I'm off on a tangent, and you can edit this all out, and that's fine. Not at all. Well, just so you listeners know, as we talk about the work that Paul does, a little over a year ago, I met Paul at one of our summer gatherings for Brew Theology, He'd been invited by a friend, and he told me his story and told me if I ever needed anything to call. And I did have a friendship that with someone that was suicidal. And so the first person I emailed was Paul and asked, okay, what do I do and what's happening here and what's the best way to support them? And he was right there. And so when he talks about wanting to be on the front lines and helping people avoid suicide, that means his time his email address, his phone number, stepping in the way of that and to help us be the best people we can be out there um, with friends and family members that are contemplating suicide and harm. So he is the real deal. You guys can't see that on the other side of the computer, but just know that. Well, I, um, I reached out to Billy to ask her to join us tonight. Billy, would you like to share... A- anything specific i'm actually going to share a story of resilience um so the backstory to this is eight and a half years ago i think timeline sometimes fuzzy uh i flew out to san francisco to jump off the bridge that's why i went now my cover story was i'm a photographer it was a long weekend and i had never been to san francisco for longer than a day without a kid so (laughs) so i flew out there and i remember that i was standing on the bridge Two in the afternoon, um, I've got my camera, watching the dolphins, they're playing, it's cool. Um, And a bridge officer stopped and talked to me, which is a thing that they do. They actually have trained officers specifically um, patrolling the bridge to look for and talk to people who they think may be having a problem. Now, I'm not an idiot, so when she asked me uh, if I was thinking about doing something, I said no, because I did not want to go to a hospital. um, I do remember, however, thinking the moment where she asked me what my plans were the next day, because I had none. Uh, and, and that's actually what made me stop and step back. And when you come up to that point, yes, I had children. They were old enough to realize uh, and understand, had I died, that I had done it myself. They were, they were of, of an age to understand that. But when you get to that point, you're, you're really thinking, this is going to be the best for everybody. I am a burden, and that's where you get to that point where you're going to jump or shoot yourself or whatever. I didn't. I survived. I'm sure that's a spoiler alert for everybody, considering I'm actually talking. Clearly, I'm a ghost. So last year, last year on my birthday, I actually went back to the area. Um, I actually did a cool tour, um, hung out with a really good friend on my birthday. But during the day on my birthday, I went back to the bridge. I was actually in a great state of mind. I wanted to see the bridge, like how it really looks that did not involve a foggy glass of wanting to die. Um, And I'm standing there realizing, because I didn't notice them then, and I know that they've been there forever, that they have the emergency phones and the science to say call. 
Um, I also was, I kind of did a little dance because they've started doing the construction of the net to stop people from jumping and being successful, um, which I think is planned to be finished by next year. But they are doing it. Um, and I, coming back from the spot that I stood at originally, and I'm walking back and I saw a bridge officer. I don't recall the name of the, the officer who talked to me eight and a half years ago. I only remembered that she was female and kind of short and curly hair. That's all I remembered. So I asked this bridge officer, whose name I also don't remember because I suck with names, um, <laughs> if she knew which officer that might have been. And she told me that it was probably their captain who had just retired a month before. Uh, and so I asked her to give her a message to say thank you. You saved my life. Or you were a part of saving my life. Um, <laughs> and the... Uh, that nice officer who had nothing to do with it because she was maybe 24, <laughs> super young. <laughs> um, but she started crying also because they care. People really, really do care. Even people who may not know you care. Um, yeah. There is somebody out there who will give a fuck. You got to find them. Yeah. Absolutely. I was... Uh at a memorial for a, a friend of mine who lost her son and that room was filled to overloading of people um, that were there to mourn the loss and try to understand um, why this person had committed suicide to the point that there were people outside the room <laughs> and um, this family was so intentional about just being truthful and honest and being um, honest about the fact that there was they didn't have a warning and they didn't see anything and it didn't make any sense but there were so many kids there so many kids that had been their lives had been touched and that they were connected to this young man and um and then this it just was a, a beautiful, amazing tribute to this family that they could say, like, we are here, and if you need anything, you call us, and if you need help, you call us, and if you need, there is someone who gives a fuck about you, so find them, um, because we don't want this to repeat. And um, I think that's just an important piece to hear, that if you're feeling that way, when you're listening to this or you know someone that's struggling with this, there is someone who gives a fuck. Go find them. Say something. Have that hard conversation. Don't give up. Yeah, we, we greatly appreciate your time, Paul, your work. Billy, thank you for your story. I, I hope that uh, this time here has helped others who are listening right now. And, and just at the end of the notes here, this is Bolden and... We just want to emphasize this to anybody who is having thoughts or knows of somebody who's having thoughts. Just here's a number and we'll repeat it. 1-800-273-TALK. 1-800-273-TALK. And... You can yeah. also text. Um, I think the one that we have on the paper here is Colorado. Text 38255. But there is a national number that you can text. So you don't actually have to say anything out loud if that creeps you out. Right now, you can text and someone will answer. Um, and if you're really in a place where you're struggling or if um, 
maybe something has been triggered, call 911 and talk to mm-hmm. someone. Um, and we'll put up a lot of resources here. There's th- 10 here, which is, that's a plethora. Would you say yeah. it's a plethora? It's well, a plethora. It we'll us. put that on uh, <laughs> the show notes there on Podbean that you could check those out as well. So, and, um, um, you know, we haven't done this before, but I want to offer uh, the last question on our list here is share your story of resiliency. And so I want to offer to you that if listening to this podcast has opened something in you and you would like to share your story, I want you to contact us. If you want to record it into your phone and send me a file, you can do that. If you would like me to Skype you or Zoom you and we'll record some questions, um, we would be happy to create an episode to share stories of resiliency and encouragement. Um, So you can email us, Ryan or Janelle at brutheology.org or fill out a form online. Um, But if that is something that that resonates with you and this is the time that you want to tell your story, then we will make that happen. So please let us know. Cheers, everybody. Cheers. Cheers to life. Thank you. Chaim. And remember, somebody gives a fuck. Somebody gives a fuck. <laughs>